All right. Good morning, everyone. Hello, kids. Good to see you this morning. Hello, friends at home again. So this morning, to start off with, I have something to show you. I want to show you a head. Huh? Are you ready? There, it's a head of cauliflower. Right? There's a head. Now, there are different types of heads, aren't there? There's vegetables that are heads, like head of cauliflower and head of lettuce and head of broccoli. And then we have part of our bodies are a head, right? Everybody touch your head, right? You have a head here as well, right? Well, another way the Bible uses the word head is to refer to someone in a position of leadership. That's another way we can use the word head, and we'll see that in the Bible today. Uh, The head of state is the leader of a country. The head of the household is a leader of the home. If you're the head of the line, what are you? You're the leader of the line, right? Of a line of people, right? And we're going to see this in 1 Corinthians today, uh, the word head used in different ways. Uh, We won't see it used like a a vegetable, head of a cauliflower, so we'll get rid of that, all right? Uh, We will see it used as the physical part of our bodies, as an actual physical head. That will be part of what we see in the Scripture this morning. We'll also see it used in the position of leadership or authority. We'll see head used in that way. Uh, We know that God the Father is the head of Christ. He's the leader of Christ. Christ is the head or the leader of man. And man is the head, the leader of woman. Now think with me. If you follow these positions of leadership, do you think in the world, in our culture, that lots, everyone's going to agree with you on those things. No, they're not, are they? We can see it quite different. As you follow Christ according to God's Word, the Bible, you will be different. But that's okay, because God wants you to be different. He says in the Bible, we read that you shall be holy, you should be set apart, you should be different, for I, God, am holy holy. And so we need good biblical thinking more than worldly thinking. And so when you follow Jesus, you will be different, right? Now, when you come to church, will you be different than the world and our culture? Yeah, you will, won't you? When you obey your father and your mother, when you honor them, will you be different than others in the world? Yes, very much so. When you boys act like boys and you girls act like girls, will you be different than others in the world? You will. When you love people and are kind to those who are mean to you, will you be different than the world? Yes, you will be. So when you live according to God's Word, you are different, and you show people Jesus. You declare the gospel by how you live your life, and God is glorified in that. And so let's always live our lives in obedience to God's Word, even if that makes us different from others around us. So Pastor Jeremy is going to come now. You keep listening for how the Bible talks about head and where you hear that word used. Thanks. Okay, well, uh, let's get into it. First Corinthians chapter 11. We are in the first uh, 
10 verses or so. I'm kind of taking these next two sermons as part one and part two. Uh, If you can't make it next week, you should be able to get it online. I also want to say we're continuing trying to accommodate the differences we have in our church regarding how to respond to COVID. We've added four rows behind the sound booth. Uh, We're still keeping this social distance, well, at least in the pews separate. We'll we'll do this for a couple more Sundays, and and then we'll see. Um, So thanks, everybody, for bearing patiently with this. I have a kind of lengthy intro, so bear with it. You don't really have any choice. Uh, This text, of course, is very difficult, controversial. Let me just talk about my history with it. I became a Christian in 1997. I grew up in a Christian home. I might have been a Christian before that, but my life was really changed about then, Uh, somewhere between my junior and senior in college. And uh, I I didn't grow up in a church that practiced head coverings or even discussed it that I know about at all. Um, the church I went to in college after becoming a Christian, I don't believe it was ever discussed, except I have a vague memory of this text just being said, it's just cultural. <clears throat> like head coverings aren't a thing anymore. That was a thing just for Corinth, just for them, but not for anymore today. And so I think that's just what I uh, assumed, that that's just the, the way I thought about this text for a long time, really. Um, I don't think I engaged it in seminary much at all that I remember a bit. Probably, if they would have, it would have been along the lines of cultural as well. Um, And it wasn't until five or six years ago uh, where a woman in a previous church, I was here actually, so probably four or five years ago, sent an article to Mandy uh, from a pastor discussing head coverings. And uh, it was the same woman, if you remember, who helped challenge my thinking on Genesis 1 and change me. So she's been a thorn in my side for many years, uh, and been, been really helpful, honestly. And uh, so the article that didn't play off cultural, kind of showed the weakness of that, but just said the head coverings here is just hair, All right? And so that got me really thinking on it five or six years ago. And then when I planned to preach First Corinthians, which I probably planned two and a half years ago, we've been preaching two years ago, as I've said, I've been studying this since then. Um, and I wanted to just explain that really briefly, because that's typically how it works in our lives when, when our minds change by God's word. It takes a lot of time. We're talking here, uh, what, over a 20-year period now, where this issue has really come to the forefront, and I've had to wrestle with it, and really solidified my thinking in, in the last few months on it. And so God is so patient with us, isn't he? And one of the things I love about this text is there's ambiguity here. It isn't clear. And there is much wrestling and praying and looking at other saints and having to take a stand on God's words. It's just, as you work through this text, God is very patient. But he does want us to take what he's written and live it. And, and so uh, let's do that. One of the things I heard this week uh, or read this week and thinking about this text is when we come up against a portion of Scripture here, that's difficult. And that you might be tempted to be angry at. It might get you going. It might really upset you. I've said a few, it's been a while, but angry Christians often make the best Christians. Christians who are ticked at what God has written in his word. 
they have this resp- they know the truth of it, and it makes them angry, because that's so much better than a passive Christian, than a Christian who just comes to God's word, reads a hard text, and just goes on like nothing's there. So give me some angry Christians here, all right? Like, and what, what I want to say, though, is we're Christians. What, what did Jesus say is the whoop and war for being a Christian? What's the summary? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to save your life, if you try to live for yourself, you'll lose it. If you try to avoid the discomfort, the shame, the death, the conflict, the risk, you'll lose your life. But if you are willing to take up your cross and follow him, if you're willing to go towards things that are risky and hard and embarrassing, then you'll find your life. And I just want to say, you come to a text that may call a woman to wear a HUD covering, and you should read that in light of, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Haven't we as Christians become so duped into thinking that living the Christian life is easy? It's about my comfort. And we get to a text like this, and it becomes such an issue, and we're angry, and that we forget that Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Lose your life. Remember on the cross, he was likely stripped naked and forced to carry the cross through the city streets around people. It's shameful. It's embarrassing. That's what he's calling you to do as a Christian. And, and, and you know, a few weeks ago, I told you how fearful I was of preaching this, and and I still am, but my wife last night said, Jeremy, knock it off. Just like, don't go up there and tell people how scared you are anymore. Just, I love my wife for that. She is a source of strength. And so I'm not, I'm not going to do that. If this, sir, <laughs> did I just do that? Uh-huh. But I did it in a way that makes you think I'm not doing it. I told you pastors are really good at that. Can I just say, can we get over ourselves here? Can we be Christians who take God at his word? Deny ourselves, take up our cross, and be embarrassed for following Jesus? Can we do that? All right, let's do that. All right, uh, I think that's enough intro. One other thing. What, What do I need from you when I preach the word? What do I need from you? I need fertile soil. Right. That's what I need. I need you to be here or at home having a heart that is eager to receive the word of God as it stands. That's what you you must bring to the table. I, I want to implant the word of God, the seed of the word in soil and, it, and I want soil that's fertile, tender, receptive so that it might bear some fruit. That's what this text wants to do for you as a man and you as a woman. It's talking about you being a man as a man and you being a woman as a woman. I want you as women to have open, fertile, receptive hearts and you as men to do the same. 
Because I'm going to say this throughout the sermon, like talk is cheap in the Christian life. And this text is not talk. It's physical, it's visible, it's tangible. You can't talk this text. You, you do or you don't. You do or you don't. And so I pray that you do. I, I do have one other thing in the intro. I'm sorry. Uh, one of the reactions that can happen in a text like this, let's say you're a visitor here, and we're going to be talking about head covering, something that is totally opposite than our culture today. This, this can really upset people, can turn you off. And one of the things that happens in the church is we're really sensitive to that today. We're really sensitive to numbers. We're really sensitive to kind of marketing and appearance. We, and one of the things that happens in the church is we think evangelism means presenting things in a palatable way. Presenting things in, as Sean prayed, in a shiny way, in an attractive way. And we don't want to talk about these kind of things here because we might turn somebody off. And I just want to say, man, evangelism, the church is supposed to be salt. It's supposed to be salty. It's supposed to be a light on a hill. It's supposed to be different. It's supposed to be something that the world can see is very different than the rest of the world. And I think, can there be any better text for evangelism in our world today than this text? You can't go anywhere, read anything, listen to anything, watch anything without sex and sexuality and gender. It, it's everywhere. It's in every movie. It's in every newscast. I mean, we are just inundated with sex and sexual roles and male and female stuff, right? It's everywhere. And Scripture is totally antithetical to the world's understanding of male and female. And what a better place for evangelism than this. We shouldn't hide this. We shouldn't deny this. We shouldn't be embarrassed by this. We should let our light shine here. If we want to be evangelistic... If we want to help men and women of the world to see the bankruptcy of the world, if we want them to see how destructive the world's understanding of this is, let's stand firm here. Let's stand firm here. At the end of Corinthians, Paul says to men, stand firm, act like men, be strong. How about here? How about in this text? Let's do it here. One of our elders texted me this week, and I want to read it. One of my struggles with the head covering passage is this. What is the visual visual or physical symbol that women display in the U.S. that indicates submission to their husbands? I would quibble here. This is my statement. I would quibble here that this text isn't mainly husbands and wise, but men and women, but I won't quibble with one of our elders. Then he, he goes on, what a distinction to be drawn and a reformation to be had if there was or becomes such a symbol. Of course, it needs to be out of obedience to God's word first, and I'm not completely positive that it is a command, but it is a grand thought of how different the country would look if we did this. 
I love that we have these kind of elders. Did you hear what he said? Of course it needs to be obedience to God's word first. And he understands the connection between sexuality and needing to stand on biblical in order to change the world. Isn't that awesome? Now, I do want to praise our church here. The connection in the Bible with male and females be fruitful and multiply, right? We have churches where people have to buy bigger vehicles because of the number of kids you're having. I, I think we're salty and light here in this area. And I think men are actually men in our church, by and large. We don't care to look like women or to be womanish as the world is. And women love to be women in our church. They love femininity and the beauty of it. They're not embarrassed by it. I really want to commend you for this. I believe this is a strength in our church. And so I hope, even as we talk about something like head coverings, that you see the goodness that God is working in this church in this regard, because it really is something. Like, one of my prayers is that at the hospital here, uh, we take up two delivery rooms at a time sometimes. Because right? that's salty in our world, isn't it? That we just don't have the token one or two. And I know some of you would like to have more children and can't, so I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having one child or something like that, because... You know, they get in the way. And we love children. They really matter. And we want to have a bunch of them. We want to raise them to love Jesus, fear him. All right, how's that for an intro? Let's read the text. I am going to read from the New American Standard, because I think the translation there is a bit better than the ESV. So you might be looking at the ESV, which is fine. It's good. It won't differ much. But I'm going to read from the New American this morning on this one. So this is 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 2 to 16. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman, now there's the ESV, you'll see the difference right there. It was man and woman, man and woman, then suddenly they go wife here. And I think they're trying to accommodate a little bit in our culture there. The context is just man and woman. Same word in the Greek. So I'm going to keep going in this. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man." For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for woman's sake, but woman for man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. 
For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman. And all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given to her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. Let me pray. Somebody asked me last week, actually my sister, my sister's right here. I love my sister. She asked me to send me her the prayer that I prayed before the sermon last week. And I, what I do is I just take uh, a section out of Psalm 119, and that's what I pray before each sermon. So if you're wondering what that is, you know, there are eight verse sections. They follow the uh, uh, Hebrew alphabet. And so this week it's uh, verses um, 73 to 80. That's what I'm praying. So let's pray. Father, your hands have made us and fashioned us. So you are our creator. We look to you then to give us understanding that we may learn your commandments. Father, may those who fear you see our behavior and rejoice because we hope in your word. Your rules are righteous. And so God, give us faith that even in our affliction, we might obey them. May your steadfast love comfort us according to the promises in your word. May your mercy come to us that we may live for your law is our delight. May the insolent be put to shame because they hate your people. But God, we will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to us that they may know your statutes. So may we live them like that. Father, may our hearts be blameless in your statutes that we may not be put to shame. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is, uh, what, the second or third sermon on this, these verses. Let me just give you a really brief background again. The church of Corinth has its issues. We've been working through them. Uh, they have issues of sexual morality in the church, even incest. Believers are going to law against other believers. Uh, they have uh, those in the church who think they're so spiritual for not getting married or even in marriage, um, refraining from the marriage bed because they're so spiritual that they wouldn't defile themselves with their wife or their husband. They're arguing over meat and so on. So this church has issues. But it's Jesus' church yet. Paul refers to these people as brothers. So the, the, the church will always need to be reformed, won't it? Including Pine Grove. We have areas that are not yet what they need to be before Jesus. And he's reforming the church. And one place that he's reforming the church now is in chapter 11 in regards to corporate worship. So the context of chapter 11 is the gathering on Sunday morning of God's people. And in verses 2 to 16, in relation to how men and women relate to each other during the worship of the Lord. Okay? So that, that's where we are. And Paul is making an argument that men and women need to follow the creation order. They need to order themselves rightly in worship according to Genesis 1 and 2. So he's making his argument here based on creation order, based on the order in the Trinity, based on the awesome reality that in worship angels are present, and then 
in verse 16, I, I, I love it. How, how many of you have had a father? How many of your father ha, has said, that, just because that's the way it is? Right? Why? That's the way it is. Or in Mandalorian terms, this is the way. Look at what Paul says. If you're going to be contentious about it, this is just what we do. <laughs> That's how he concludes it. I love it. If you're going to be contentious about this, is your head covering. The church practices head covering everywhere. This is what we do. <laughs> Case closed. Enough. Move on. <laughs> and so Paul is making this argument. The practice that he's talking about here, they're maintaining this practice, they're maintaining this tradition, has to do with men not covering in worship and women covering in worship and particularly mentions pray and prophesying. So verse 3 is the most important verse along with verse 7 in this. Verse 3 is from which everything else builds. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Headship. Headship. Head. Authority. So this word means... The liars in this world who lie about this text say that headship here doesn't mean authority. It just means source. The Greek word kephale uh, can sometimes take the meaning of source. Very rare. Not in the Bible. But that's how feminists, Christian feminists, try to undo the plain meaning of any text that talks about male and female relationship and headship. They say, well, it doesn't mean authority here. It just means source. That makes no sense. Why does it make any sense? Well, the head of Christ is God. The source of Christ is God. Come on, that's heresy. This doesn't mean source. This means authority. The authority of every man is Christ. The authority of a woman is her husband or is a man. And the authority of Christ is God. Sorry, I switched the ESV there. <laughs> the authority of every man is Christ. The man is the authority of the woman and God is the authority of Christ. So there's a hierarchical ordering here. God is the authority of Christ, who is the authority of man, who is the authority of woman. Christ submits to the Father. Christ submits to the Father. Is he less than the Father? Is he... Something less than the Father? Is he less important, less worthy? Jesus Christ is God. He is equal with the Father in every way, and yet he submits to him. The Father is the authority over the Son. Can I ask you, the church is utterly committed to rebelling against this reality, complaining ongoingly of a woman's submission to a man, and yet no one complains of the Son's submission to the Father. We are utter hypocrites here. If you're going to complain as a woman about the biblical teaching that you are to submit to your husband, you better be complaining about Christ's submission to his father, which is heresy, right? To rebel against the hierarchical ordering of man and woman is to rebel against the ordering. It's because you do not rebel. It's a Trinitarian error. It's because you do not wrestle with the reality that from all eternity, the Son has proceeded from the Father and has submitted to His Father. 
and that that ordering is written in the creation ordering. And it's to display the glory of God to the creation, male and female. In fact, you see throughout Scripture, 1 Corinthians 3.23, in this letter, Christ belongs to God. 1 Corinthians 15.28, the Son himself is subjected to the Father. John 17, 4 and 5, I glorified you doing the work you gave me to do. Jesus isn't ashamed or degraded or less than the Father. He's glad to boast in his submission. But we, because we're so wise, because we're so advanced as a society, find that what Jesus says to the Father is degrading if a wife were to say it to her husband. I dare you, as a wife, to go home and say, husband, what work do you have me to do? I'd glory in it. That's what Jesus says to the Father. Right? Or, husband, I, I, am, I am in subjection to you. Or if you want to get really crazy, First Peter 3, Sarah calls Abraham Lord and is praised for it. So do it at the dinner table. My Lord, can I get you anything? This is biblical language. You're giggling. This Bible. They're Bible. Jesus isn't a woman. Did I say he was? He's not a woman. Yeah, just you're, you're playing that part. What an exalted, glorious part you as women get to play. Do not let our culture tell you it's degrading or embarrassing. You're revealing to the world the son's relationship to his father and our relationship to Christ. It's glorious. It's beautiful. So, authority and submission do not at all ever imply inequality, degradation, nor, the, nor is it in indignity. It's glory. Now, we know in the second half of this section, he makes sure of that. After saying, man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Man was, neither was man created for woman, but woman from man. This is why a white wife ought to have a symbol of authority in her head. Nevertheless, verse 11, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. We're completely equal. We're completely equal in dignity and worth. Equally bearing the image of God. Equally fallen in our father Adam. Equally redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But our world has taught us that submission equals inequality. Authority is to be laid down and not taken up, and that's godliness for a man. So men are taught that if you exercise your authority, you're doing something wrong. And so a good man in the church is a man who is not exercising his authority in home or at church. We make them elders, not at this church, but we make those kind of guys elders because they're soft and pliable and church members can impact them and get what they want from them. And you're taught as a woman that submit means oppression, and so that's the last thing you should ever do. And you're a 
betrayer of your sex if you would take this on. And it's rubbish, and it's destroying lives. And we ought to be done with it. We ought to be done with it. So do you as a man, because of 1 Corinthians 11.3, the head of a woman is man, do you as a man take hold of your authority over a woman, over your wife, to take responsibility, to provide, to speak up, to stand firm? Are you abdicating as a man? Are you not leading your wife? Do you consistently just zip it when she is rebelling against you because you're afraid? It is not godliness, brothers. It is not strength. You were made for dominion. You were made to take authority to exercise it. Now the context of your authority is love. We saw that in Ephesians 5. Authority does not mean you getting to tell your wife to do whatever you want her to do. That's the furthest thing from it. It's sacrifice. It's laying down your life. It's considering her best interests biblically and doing it. It has nothing to do with selfishness. It has nothing to do with rudeness. But it is a requirement for you to take authority. This is your place. God has assigned it to you. It should appear that the man has authority. It should be apparent that you have authority. God gave you your sex as a man at conception and you are to obey it. That's what this text is saying. This is discipleship here. I just want to say, in our world, being salt and light is just being a man. You don't have to do anything else. Just just be a man. Just take up the authority of being a man and live it. That's salt and light in our world. It's really easy to do. I mean, it's really easy to be a Christian in that way, to be different. Now, what women, do you as a woman, a woman love your place under man? Doesn't that sound so degrading, oppressive? It isn't. Submitting, if you're a wife to a husband, do you see your place as his helper created for him to help him as he takes dominion in this world, in your home, in our church, in Rhinelander. Do you see yourself there? You've promised to take up your cross and follow Jesus there. You've promised Jesus that you would take up your cross as a woman and do everything that Jesus commanded you as a woman. The place 
that God has assigned to you in love is no degradation. It is not a lowly calling, but a very worthy one. It's filled with goodness and wealth. But talk is cheap. We can all talk a good game here. We can all talk about our responsibility as men, our authority as men. We can get around with a bunch of other men and talk about it. Women can do the same. You get around with other women and talk about your submission. Talk about how we want to do it more. This text is very visible, isn't it? Pastor Jeff said it. We're talking about heads and hair, appearance, externals. This text is very tangible and visible. It's not talk. It's not talk. It's not talk. Jesus didn't come and talk about dying for us. He died for us. He didn't come and talk about loving us. He submitted to his father. He didn't just come and talk about submitting to his father. He submitted to his father even to the point of death on the cross in your place for your sin. This is the heart of it. We're Christians. We're washed. We're cleansed. Man, you're washed and cleansed of all of your trying to live your life, laying down your authority, trying to get out from underneath it. I've thought about that in this text. It is my responsibility to talk this through with my wife and lead her. Right? It's my responsibility to do that. You know what I want to have happen? I want her to say, honey, I've been reading this text and I don't think it's head covering. And I want to go, okay, good. Or opposite. I want her to come to the conclusion. I don't want to bear the weight. I don't want it to be visible. I want to talk about it. So he, he continues on in verse 4. He begins with man. Every man who has something on his head, every man who prays and prophesies with something on his head, discovers or, or disgraces his head, dishonors his head. He starts with man. Why does he start with man here? Because he started with man in the garden. Man first. When Eve sinned, the fall didn't happen. Even though she sinned first, sin happened when Adam fell and when God came to the garden. He didn't go up to Eve, even though she sinned first. He went up to Adam first. So Paul addresses here men first. Nature itself tells you that if, or I'm not sorry, not nature, we'll get to that in a minute, but a man who, who covers his head in worship, praying and prophesying, disgraces his head. A man who prays or prophesies something else that disgraces his head. And who is the head that man is disgracing? I think head here has a double meaning. He's disgracing himself. He's disgracing his sex. But who is his head? Christ. For a man not to worship God as a man is a disgrace to his head. Isn't that sobering? Next in verses 5 and 6, he speaks to women. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For it's the same as if she just have her head shaved. Who is her head? Well, she has a head. She has hair. 
It's a disgrace for it not to be covered. We'll get to what that is in a moment. It's either hair or something else. Again, her head is man, wife, husband. It's a disgrace to him. For her to take preeminence over him in the corporate gathering and the worship, it's scandalous to angels. Angels are very hierarchically ordered. They love the ordering. And for them here, present in worship, to see us disordered in this regard, it's awful to them. To see us disordered, male and female, for some glorious, mysterious reason. I don't know. It's ambiguous. I, I don't know. And so if she won't live out her femininity in submission, then it's, it's just like her head is shaved. And shaving here means to cut close. It's related to the shearing of sheep. It's to shave it off. If she won't cover, if she won't be woman in worship, then... She should just shave her head off. But since that's disgraceful, let her cover her head. And then in case we didn't get it, in verse 7, he repeats in a different way the same truth in verse 3. For a man ought not to have his head covered. Why? He is the image and glory of God. But a woman is the glory of man. We said a couple weeks ago that the reason that the word image isn't repeated in relation to women is because he's not denying that women are, are made in the image of God. He's very careful with his language here. Because we know in Genesis 1, God made us male and female in his image. Men are made in the image of God. Women are made in the image of God. But men bear the glory of God uniquely. And women are made to bear portray, reveal the glory of man based on the creation order. So man, the head of man is Christ. He was created uniquely in a way that woman is not to reveal and display the glory of God, particularly here in creation or in worship and praying and prophesying, so he should not cover Woman is the glory of man, made from man, created uniquely in a way that man was not, to reveal and display the glory of God, so she should have a covering. Now in this, she is showing the world how the church is to relate to Jesus. She is showing the world how the Son relates to the Father. And of course, this idea of covering conveys submission. And she is to do that in relation to man or a wife to her husband because she, he is the glory of God and she is his glory. And as we said a couple of weeks ago, what are we all about in worship? The glory of God. So man somehow here in verse 7 is the glory of God, so he shouldn't cover. Woman is the glory of man. And then in um, further down, Verse 14, her long hair is her glory. I'm sorry, verse 15. And so by covering, whatever that is, she is covering both her glory and man's glory so the only glory present in worship is God's. I think behind this is the issue of maybe of lust for men. There is a way that women could bear herself in worship that would draw attention to her. 
And so she ought to be in a place of deference and submission. These are hard things, aren't they? We must have faith here. God is our God. He loves us. He has given this to us. Every one of his commands are good and wise and right. And, and you can read the language here, right? You can read this. It would do you no good for me to explain it in a way that explains away the clear meaning of it. So God has placed authority in men, just as God is Father with all authority. So God has created you as a man to take fatherly authority. God forgives all of our abdicating as man. He has washed us clean of it. He forgives all of our effeminacy. And God has placed woman in subjection to man to bear his glory. And God forgives all our rebellion against that, cleanses the washes of it, calls us to take it up by faith. And you and I know when this is working, although it doesn't work very well in, in our marriages, we're not good at this, but even when it's kind of partly working, it's beautiful, it works, it's glorious. It's really good. It, it works. It works, it works, it works. All right, so let's get down to the nuts and bolts. What are we talking about here? What are we talking about here? First, praying and prophesying. Every man who prays and prophesies. There is some ambiguity in this language here. There, there, there is lots of debate over what these two words mean. I have a book on my shelf that's called Leading in Prayer. And by prayer, he means worship. Because sometimes in the Bible, that word is used just to mean the corporate gathering of the church. This is a service of worship a service of prayer. We're praying from beginning to end. Prophesying, you shouldn't think here like foretelling the future. Prophesying here means just declaring the mysteries of God's word for the edification of the hearers, exhorting. I believe the praying and prophesying word here means just the, the worship service. Um, like, let's, say, let's say we did think that this was actually some kind of a a covering, whether it's a hat or a veil or scarf or something, that a woman should put it on when she's about to pray and then take it off. And then if she's going to give a wet word of exhortation, she should put it back on. I don't think that's what he's meaning here. I think he's mean, referring to the entirety of the worship service. But I do think the ambiguity here is great. I think sometimes we get frustrated on, like, why didn't he just say it plain? First of all, if we're honest with ourselves, even if he did say it plain, we probably wouldn't obey it anyways. And second, I think God loves diversity in his church. I think God loves uh, calling us to love each other, particularly where we might see things differently. I think that's a beauty. Our world is all about this, isn't it? Our world is just killing itself on diversity, except where it comes to men and women. Right? Right? You agree there, right? Our world is just selling its soul to the devil for diversity. Except here. You can't have any diversity here. 
men and women can't be any diverse. We can't have any difference here. And we got to be careful that we don't fall into that either. So I think this is well in worship. I, I think that because of verse 16, it's just talking about the gathering of the church. And then verse 17 to 34, when you come together as a church, I believe the context here is just the corporate gathering of the church. All right, coverings. Every man who prays or prophesies his head covered. Every woman who prays or prophesies her head uncovered. What's the covering? Well, it's either the hair itself or some extra covering. Those are the two views here. The reason that this isn't culture is because nothing in this text reads is just particularly applied to the Corinthian church here. Everything reads universal. Going back to the creation order, the angels, verse 16, everything in this text and the context is, out, is, is universal. So, so, so I don't think we should contend there, but the issue is it, it's either long hair, that is a woman should wear her hair in a womanly way, not in a manly way, and, and men should wear their hair according to their sex and not according to the other sex. A woman's hair is her glory, and a man who wears his hair like a woman is trying to steal her glory. We were talking about this with the kids around the table. And we were talking about a man who primps and, you know, does his quaff and spends as much time. And I said, what do you think about that? And the kids said, that's gross. <laughs> I love it. It's true. If you were in a locker room with men, probably not anymore because I don't think kids do that anymore today. They don't go in locker rooms. They don't shower together. But when I was, we did. And if there was a guy who used, like, hairspray, dude, he was going to be held down and be hairsprayed. And me too. And that's good for young men. I know that might upset you, but that's really good for young men to be made fun of by their other friends when they're acting in a way that is outside of manhood. Men, you get this, right? This is why women don't go to men's gatherings. Because <laughs> it's, it's really uh, something. It's a lot of fun, I think. I don't even know where I was anymore. All right, so it's either hair. So, so, so it could be hair here. And where do you get that from? Well, you get it especially from the end. Verse 15, for her hair is given to her for a covering. I think that could be a very likely interpretation. And this is talking about just you bearing yourself, particularly on your head, which is the most prominent part, particularly in your hair, according to your sex. That you externally look like your sex. It's a very visible, tangible thing. It's also a thing that is gone in today's world. Men try to look womanly. Women try to look manly. Except as you'll notice in the latest superhero things when they have women superheroes, they're both sexy and manly. They got the long hair, the big bust, the appearance of a woman, but she's acting like a man. So it's either that, so he's either saying long womanish hair for a man is shameful and a man who preens like a peacock and takes the time to perfectly do his hair is um, dishonoring his head, Christ, and himself. And a woman who 
tries to convey the appearance of manliness, short, cropped. I know it's an offensive term, but it, it's, a, it's an accurate term, butch. That's a hard term, but, but it rightly describes what he's talking about here. It's shameful. It dishonors her head. Paul says that. It's true. If it's not hair, though, the other is that he's actually talking about a shawl or a scarf or a hat. And a man ought not do that, and a woman should. And, and that seems to me to be most likely here in this text. Just because in verses particularly 4, 5, and 6, it looks like it's something in addition to the hair. But it really could be either. I mean that genuinely. You know I don't do that very much. There's ambiguity here again. And praise God for it. The, I, I read a pastor this week who said the ambiguity is as inspired as everything else. Why? So we can love each other in our diversity. This is why I said a few weeks ago, I think it'd be good if we had women who did and didn't cover. Women who did wear some sort of external covering and women who didn't because there's diversity in how we interpret this. And we love each other and we don't look at each other and say, well, she's not as godly as I am. Or her husband must be better leader than her husband. We love each other. We care about each other. And we're not going to ever divide us. But what I want to do with this, I want our elders. Now, thank, you should thank God that we have a plurality of elders. That not everything I say goes. I think our elders, I'm challenging our brothers, elders, should take this text and define for Pine Grove what it means for us. Because you want to know, don't you? I've heard lots of women saying, I want to know this. I, I want to understand what it means, and I would like to be obedient to it. And I don't think that's just up to me here. I could be abdicating here. I don't think I am. We have a group of us who should decide maybe some ways that this should be lived out here. The one thing I do not want is a whole bunch of women all next week wearing head coverings. I don't want to be known as a head covering church. I don't, I don't want people to come in here and feel less than if they don't wear a head covering. I don't want to be rude like that. I'm okay if people come in here with their shoes on. I, I just, I want to be a, a godly church that's known for its love and its commitment to scripture and where somebody might say, oh, there's some women wearing things on their head and there's some women not. What's going on? And what a great opportunity to describe the difference in diversity here. And that we're not judgmental. See, well, I'm preaching to two people here. I'm preaching to people who might wear a head covering, women who might wear a head covering and think they're so superior. That's, that's, we all do that, don't we? We find easy ways to show how righteous we are. And then I'm preaching to people who are very timid and might find this offensive. So what about me and my family? Where are we at? I want to submit to our elders in this. That's where we're at. This text is about submission. In this church, I am to submit to our elders. So I want to hear what my brothers say about it. And yeah, I love my wife. Do you know what she said to me? 
said, Jeremy, if you ask me to wear a head covering, I'll do it. And I didn't want her to say that because I wish he would just say, I want to wear a head covering. That'd make it a lot easier on me. Because I am as prone to want to abdicate my responsibility as you are. But I shouldn't be talking about that, Mandy said. I shouldn't be talking about that. Um, I think, brothers, what you're supposed to do in your family is you're supposed to take the lead in this discussion. I think you're supposed to go home and open with your family, 1 Corinthians 11, and lead your wife and your children, your daughters and your sons to talk about this. I think you're supposed to listen to your wife and, and what she has to say here. I think you're supposed to have a really good fatherly-led discussion, but I do think you should ultimately make a decision. You should make a decision. I think this would be a really practical way for you to take your headship seriously. That's why I love the ambiguity here. You've you got to do it. Isn't that good? Don't you want to be a man? I do. I want to grow in it. I think this is a really good opportunity for it. So let's end with this. We are called by Christ to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. The more, le- the, more the Holy Spirit works in our lives, the weirder we'll become. Isn't it true? And, 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 and it's not uniformity. For all the talk in the world, the diversity, they don't love diversity. They love you towing the line and getting in line. They love univer- uniformity. We don't, to tell you the truth. We love men who are men and women who are women. We love that God is God and we are not. We love that there may be diversity of opinion on this and we can still love each other just like there is in the COVID-19 and wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. We love the diversity of every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. We love it. We love it. This world is all about conformism. If you do not conform, they will call you to bow. Won't they? But we bow to Jesus, right? That's actual diversity. And a woman or a man to declare his sex right out there in the open is godly. It's different than the world. For you as a woman to wear right there on your head with how you do your hair that you are woman. You remember in Genesis 2, this is a little bit off subject, remember in Genesis 2 when Adam saw Eve for the first time? He did a little poem there. She should be called woman. (laughs) He was in awe. He sang. He loved her. He should have died for her. Thank God the second Adam came and did, huh? Let's pray. Father, help us. I don't know what else to pray. Help us, oh God. 
May we love who you've made us to be as men and women. May this be taken with faith, taken in the context of deny yourself, and take up cross. God, give us faith for that. Give us ears to hear that, hearts to receive it. May the hardness of our hearts, the stiffness of our necks, may you by your Holy Spirit just put a dent in it. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive me for it. Forgive us for our cowardness. Cowardice. Forgive us for being duped by the world. God, your word is so good. It leads to life and goodness and blessing. So please help us. Any here, oh God, who take offense, I pray that you would help them as they're angry to search it out. Those who are dull and just aren't going to give it a second thought, may you do whatever it is in their life to have them help to deal with it. And so, God, we give ourselves to you in this. What else do we want? You are our God. You are great. We want to be pleasing to you. We thank you for your son who is our righteousness. You are great. In Jesus' name, amen. So the charge is this. Husbands, I don't want to assume that you're not doing this, but I think you have a good opportunity now to lead your family in a, in a biblical discussion. I want to charge you to keep to the text here. I want to charge you to keep your family on the text. And wives, if I could, children, I would ask that you honor your husband and father in this. Make it easy for them. I had a PhD in making these things difficult on my father. It's shameful. Uh, and I would, I would urge you not to be like me in it, but uh, make it easy. Encourage your husband in it. All right. May God bless you. May he cause us to flee any loves that are above our love for him and instead give us strength and faith to pursue righteousness, godliness, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. May the Holy Spirit teach us to fight the good fight of faith. May our children take hold of the eternal life to which He has called us because we confess the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. To you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who alone dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to you be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. I love you.